Okay. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Beverly Hills 90210 show. Uh, me, Charles, and Larry are here. We are working behind the scenes at getting these uh, story slams put together. They've taken a little bit more time uh, than we had thought, right? Charles, uh, why don't you tell us what's happening? Well, what's happening is I get quiet and Larry takes over. So I'm <laughs> to the same thing right here. Right, Larry, what's going on? Well, with well this? you know, we have high, look, we, we did the first one, which we thought we really liked. And uh, I have to tell you, I'm going to say it, Pete. I think more people should be watching this thing. It's really a cool little piece of stuff. Yes. But now the second one and the third one were more complicated. There were, there were more characters in and there were more dialogue. And we also, you know, we mixed uh, our fans with some professional actors and so we're putting it all together and it's going to be fantastic. And it's, you know, good food, take long time, prepare. <laughs> and, it, and it had more uh, special effects too. That's yeah, right. Special effects. The fling does. Yeah. Yeah. Trying, you know, we're just, you know, we just, you know, we're learning as we go here. So also it's important to note, we have the one with Jenny Garth. She was so phenomenal and she's so great. So we're trying to make sure that every beat matches and feels really really special so Especially i think for that yeah, one yes. yeah that's that's, that's that's the uh yeah that's coming but uh they're all our babies now they're exactly all our babies. we have to take care of them yeah anyway so, enjoy the music because yeah is, so this hey this was we, we got to meet gary david scott and, yeah you know, gary scott i wanted to talk real quick about this i mean this we recorded i think larry you were on the vineyard when we recorded mm -hmm. this so anybody watching it larry is not on the vineyard he will be with us <laughs> He's here. Uh, but Gary David Scott was really great. He gave us a lot of great insight about, um, you know, scoring 90210. And, you know, your brother's in town, uh, Larry, and he's, yeah. he did some of that, too. Um, yeah. You guys remember this conversation? It was it was it was a good one, wasn't it? I think so. Yeah, I relied on I relied on I relied on Gary. Gary changed the tone. I thought that I thought it was getting. Uh, so we, we were relying on the set, the same set. John Davis, you know, it's his show. It's his recording. He was doing it. And he was doing fine. But sometimes you want, and, and some of them were the mu bass music cues that, that stuck all through, I'm sure, all the, the whole run of the, of the show. But at the same time, you want different sounds, different, different moods. And Gary gave us so many great ones. So I'm very happy. And, of course, you have this odd uh, connection. Yeah, I mean, people, you know, it's always good to learn a little bit about the... Uh... The makings of the show and these are one of the key contributors now what i want to say too is next week we are going to be presenting or attempting to present uh the story slams i feel really good that we'll have them done next week we're going to try to present the story slams to you we're really excited about it um and it should just air in our normal spot it might be pre-recorded earlier that week or whatever but um it's coming to you and jenny's in it and it's going to be a lot of fun so we will give you more notes and stuff about what's coming uh, in the couple of weeks, this has been great, guys. Um, I'm 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 excited to see uh, how it all shapes out. Are you guys well, ready? We're also going to get together on Friday for lunch with Zara, Zara Brown from Toronto. I'm so excited about that, Lisa. It's more for like cocktails, right? It's like four o'clock in the afternoon. Is that what it is? Cocktails? Yes. Okay. Well, or 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 there's to be some food. Yeah, it can be food. It's at the Jamaica Bay Inn, right? You know, they're on Admiralty there. Oh yes. yeah, we go there all the time. It's great. I I I told her to go there. I, I, oh, I oh, okay. I, wow. I, all right. Yeah. She, she was going to go Cheesecake Factory. I said, well, Jamaica Bay is a little bit, you know, nice. Oh no, Jamaica Bay. Good choice. Yeah. Larry. See, he lives in Marina Del Rey. I live in Venice, so Jamaica Bay. Yeah, that's the nice place I drive past. You know? <laughs> and Christelle's going to be there, and Lisa, and I got that's to see. Great. I got to meet uh, Leanne uh, in Chicago. 
last night. It was amazing. She's just, was such a sweet person. And I also met the fl- the lead character of the fling, uh, Maggie, in New York uh, last week. So it's oh, just yeah. been a lot of fun. To- yeah, how much fun both. Yeah, yeah. that's great. It, it's been fun to catch up with all the people that we've been talking to for all this time. Well, so. Right from... All right, I'm gonna, I gotta all right guys, back. this is going to be great. Go, yeah. We'll see everybody soon. next week. Okay, bye. Winter, spring, summer, fall, seasons change. We still keep it together. Hey, Beverly Hills 90210 fans. Are you ready to dive deep? Episode by episode. Storyline by storyline, character by character, as we break down the making of your favorite zip code with your host, Charles <laughs> Rose. Did I say that? Harry Mullen. This thing about the, the, the real person. And we go, what? We're getting rid of this guy. Pete Ferrero. I'm feeling wonderful. <laughs> Kathleen looks crush, TV crush worthy. Like so many special guests. And all your questions. Live on the Beverly Hills 90210 Show. Oh, yeah. Well, here we are on the Beverly Hills 90210 Show special edition, uh, talking about music with uh, Gary Scott. Gary wanted to ask you right off the bat, what did you think of Chuck's uh, performance there at the end of the intro on uh, Everybody <laughs> Dance Now? Well, it goes without saying it's pretty impressive, that's for sure. There you go. <laughs> and I can do this one too, Gary. I, I like bread and butter. <laughs> yeah. it, it goes across all genres, right? It's you need Falsetto, you know what to call, baby. Hudson <laughs> Truck, Jersey Boys. Thanks for that. That's great. Yeah. A handful of Brenda fans just tuned out. <laughs> Oh well. <laughs> many many guys, guys, I'm just knowing kidding. that I'm on it, many don't even tune in. <laughs> yeah. All right. Anyway, just kidding around. Um, well, Gary, you did do a lot of the composing, most of the composing uh for Beverly Hills 90210. How are things going with you, man? How how has it been the last 20 somewhat years since 90210 ended? Well, uh, good question. You know, um, Going well. I mean, I, I continued to kind of just work on, you know, various series. I somehow wound up toward the very end working on a bunch of Disney kind of uh, sitcoms and stuff. Um, but uh, all good other than um, I had an unfortunate thing happen to me about three years ago, which was my house burned down and my recording studio burned down in the fires here in Los Angeles. Oh, no. So um, I'm about two and a half years out from that and rebuilding our my wife and my house and my recording studio. But that was a bit of a blow. But I'm sitting here in my new recording studio, which is sort of a temporary thing that I put together during this transition time. And I'm still composing and I'm still writing and enjoying everything that I used to do. So just in a different setting right now. Zuma Beach is right outside my window, so I'm happy. <laughs> We're all well, close the fire. To the fire was, this wasn't the Point Doom one, was it? It was a different part no, of No, this was the one, um, our house was in a place called Malibu Lake, which was in the Santa Monica Mountains. So this is the Woolsey fire that happened oh, at the yeah. end of 2018, I think, in November. Yeah. yeah. And but Charles- anyway, in the rearview mirror now, uh, the drawings behind me are the new house, so. <laughs> nice. Yeah. You know, there you go. Uh, for Charles and Larry, how are things going on your end? All good in the uh, the, the East Coast, Larry? 
Oh, uh, yeah. You know, summer is, uh, you know, really popping here on the island. And, um, yeah, lots of, you know, busy all the time. Going to a pig roast tonight. Uh, wow. And oh. a band, with a band I really like. And tomorrow night there's another band I like. And, uh, you know, they've got they've some big dinners and beach. And, uh, you know, it's like high school here every, you know, every every day we miss you man we got to get you back I, think, yeah, I, think, I know i know larry's existence and i and i it, it on the vineyard and i think the one thing i would amend sometimes it's like junior high school <laughs> <laughs> yeah where where you, I, I continue to clam and we you know continue to push our, our shellfish menus um, where are you i'm at martha's vineyard uh oh okay well that explains it all on the other coast yeah we've been kind of a long time but uh, we, we all, you know, love the West Coast, and we'll be back there, I guess, by August. You know, that's yeah. the plan. Nice. We miss you, man. We got to get you back. Thank you. Here. Miss everybody the too. and all that. But I hey, see that that the Dodgers and the Red Sox, before we go too far, are have exactly the same record. It's very exciting. We can all, all hope again for have to, to have that. But that would happen again for the World Series. Be so great. Anyway, uh, Charles, all good with you, man. Yeah, you know, it was uh, Karen and my wedding anniversary last weekend. We've been married uh, since the uh, since the Old Testament was written, <laughs> and um, we uh, uh, and we on, on that same day we got in the water. We caught actual waves in Santa Monica Bay, which I haven't done uh, for all sorts of reasons, uh, mostly having to do with climate change. Wow. But uh, uh, we were we were good on Saturday, and uh, it was a lot of fun. And uh, waiting for Larry to come back so I can uh, convince him to uh, either come back in the water with me or buy a wetsuit. Exactly. <laughs> hey, how's the wind, by the way? Is the wind still been no, out? The, the wind on Saturday was great. But, great. Uh, everyone here is also talking about how all of a sudden now the last year was a really windy year. So it's all over. It's not just the West Coast. Mm, influx of climate change wind. I've spoken to some sailors, old timers. Yeah, well, it, it reminds me, I think I've told you this, Larry, it, you know, relative to climate change, it reminds me of when I was in college at Berkeley. It, it's like we now have Northern California weather yeah. and, and in a lot of ways. <laughs> and then uh, the Northwest is getting, uh, the, you know, like into weather. And they might as well be Palm Springs. Yeah, yeah. so it's all I mean, crazy. Palm Springs weather. It's crazy. crazy. All right, let's get into talking about oh. this, Gary. Um, and Charles, I'm going to start with you. Um We've talked about on the podcast a whole bunch of times about music, the importance of the Peach Pit music, the importance of, you know, all the different places of the music. But we've never really talked about some of the score. A little bit here and there, we've we've shown scenes and things like that. Um, how we had Fred Mullen on also. Of course, yes. We, talk, we had your brother on who, who had scored some stuff. Um, but so how important is this to to what 90210 is and, be, and would be inevitably become? Well, all underscore is there to that serves a purpose, and um, and I'll let Gary about. I'm sure you know many more philosophies when you do it, when you don't do it. I um, I know that in listening to a lot of a few of the episodes that we did together, Gary, um, that you know there was often you know that 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 underscore is used a lot in transitions. You know, and act breaks and act ins, you know, if there's not a recorded song going, you know, oftentimes I and I, you know, start you off with a really tough question here, Garrett. You know, sometimes with the dramatic stuff, I was the one that advocated don't just keep it dry, mm. keep it dry, keep it dry. How does that 
work for you when you do your you're in a room with it with it whether it's our room or any room and you're seeing the scene and the scene is really playing or it's or it's not playing and they either they don't say to you oh come on you got to save this scene put a lot of score into it or conversely they don't say to you um uh or they or they say to you you know let it uh keep it dry and you know the scene isn't working so right. uh, i'd be interested uh because there yeah. you are, you're trying to please producers who often uh, aren't that confident in what they're doing. Yeah. Well, I'd say in my case, you know, I got involved in the series. It had already, I started working on it, I think, in 1992. So the series actually began broadcasting when? 90. So, right. You came okay. in, I think, so season three. Right. By the time I came to it, there was a style the theme song was there, you know, the, the, you'd done already two years of episodes. So there was a, you had established a style for the show, a musical style for the show. Um, and that's key in any show that you work on because um, it's the quantity of the music. Now, for example, spelling at the time that I got involved in the show was, I think, considered I mean, in my view, as a composer, a little bit more of a, a mainstream provider of television fare, you know, uh, series episodic stuff, you know, Dynasty, whatever all those, you know, ensemble shows were that I was familiar with. So in those instances, transitions, as you mentioned, um, went with the territory because it was just a slickness, a style of, of creating a program where the transitions were smooth. So, you know, um, someone's kissing someone, and they fall out of frame and we dissolve into the next scene. Now you could let that go dry, right? But in a spelling show, particularly 90210, rarely would it go dry. If it's as simple as, you know, two characters, you know, Dylan kissing Brenda, and then they fall onto the bed and then we dissolve to the next scene, the music isn't really doing anything. It's just, it's just providing the transition and it's a highlighting a little aspect of the fact that there, there's romance about to take place. But by the time you're into the next scene, the music is already tailing. It's, so it's really kind of just providing a transition and a slickness um, and a polish to the overall show. Uh, now, the, I think more contemporary shows, um, are, they, they, tend to not, they tend to avoid those transition cues. I'm talking about dramatic episodic shows these days because they're really, you know what they're going to be. They don't accomplish too much other than getting you from A to B, you know? So the opportunities for me on the series that I looked forward to the most were the ones where um, you might say, Chuck, or, or uh, whoever was in the spotting session might say, we need a little help here, you know? Uh, but it, I got to say, I don't, I don't really feel that that happened that often over the 70 some shows I did. I mean, I, don't, I could recall the times that, hey, you know, uh, we really need some help in this scene because it's not playing or whatever. Very few opportunities came up where, where, where the producers would turn to me and say, hey, we really need some help here because it's not happening because everything was really pretty much happening. So we never yeah. really worried about the music. You know, it got spotted by mostly, you know, uh, Steve Wasserman did a lot of the spotting, I would think. Steve, right? and there were, I worked Kenny Miller, obviously. Yeah, Kenny and was in there and he knew the formula. I never did any spotting. Uh, even my episodes, I would give notes on the stuff, you know, yeah. when I was producing it. But I, Steve would, uh, you know, always go to spotting. Yeah. Right, I mean, because he, he loved to write so much, Steve. 
<laughs> he's, he's a good boy. Well, you know, all the spotting sessions, Ken did do the spotting sessions. And, um, you know, they went pretty quickly. I mean, you know, there wasn't a lot of back and forth. There, you know, everyone pretty much understood, because we've all done this a bit, where the music needed to be. And it was really only maybe one or two cues where I would even ask a question in the spotting session. Uh, you know, and that was somewhat a function of the fact that we all knew what we were doing. And also that Ken Miller had a had a lunch date with like, you know, E. Duke Vincent and Aaron in like the next five minutes. And he didn't have time to stay there for the spotting session. So, you know, it was some of that. But um, yeah, there wasn't tremendous input. But like I said, by the time I hit the show, there was a bit of a formula set in motion. And my bona fides for the show came from, I don't know if you guys even know this, but prior to working on this show, I was a musical director. So I worked for Cher for 10 years and I traveled around the world conducting her performances. And when I got into television, the first opportunity I had, or the second one was MGM series Fame, where I was the music producer and I produced all the songs that were pre-recorded for the, for the four years of the show that was in first run syndication after NBC canceled it. Oh. So I had kind of a, a reputation as being one of the young up and coming guys that knew how to write rock and roll music for TV shows. Was Bill, Blinn, I, was Bill Blinn there then? Was, was that Bill Blinn? Yeah. Or? I worked yeah. with Bill Blinn. I worked, Ken Ehrlich was the producer on the show at that time who used to the produce the Grammys. Yeah. We were kind of like a, you know, we were all about music. And um, so when well, I got- I, know, I, I really wanted on that show. I was, yeah, breaking, I mean, I was breaking away and yeah. got canceled. Um, yeah. I, you know, my first call was to, you know, Jerry Eisenberg. Jerry Eisenberg, yeah. You know, and I, I, did, I did an alternate pilot for it. Yeah. I mean, one of the backup, one of the backup scripts when they were selling it for NBC. For Glenn, yeah, yeah, I did yeah. one. Glenn Gordon, Karen did one. It was like, you know, yeah. well, I, I worked with. I was doing. I was, that's when I was doing. Uh, um, uh, Breaking away. Glenn was yeah. my producer. Yeah. He was twenty six, yeah. and I was twenty eight. Yeah. But the but you know who else worked on your show? Who I gave his first job to was Ira Stephen Bear. Oh was, yeah, me, uh, yeah. Yes, that's Ira, right. Ira too. He, did he was backup he was pilot great. for me. He, yeah. He, he yes, was, he, was, he wore the boots, you know, he had like a Brooklyn cowboy look. And, and yeah, if I'm yeah. not mistaken, I think I did a previous series with him at Paramount called The Bronx Zoo. That he was one of the major writers on. Perhaps. Uh, yeah. It was with Ed Asner, like a Brooklyn school, you know, Bronx, Bronx school. Oh, cool. We went a couple of seasons and, and that was it. But so when I came to 90210, I think the attraction was is that, you know, um, they wanted contemporary music, you know, they wanted what was on the radio to, to, to be the feeling of the underscore, except in instances where it was like more of a traditional transition or there was a specific purpose where the music had to do something. But in general, they wanted it to be young and contemporary. So, you know, I was a good choice because that's the world that I came from. I had produced records. I was working with rock and roll artists. So I knew the musicians to hire and it was just very easy for me to do it. Um, and I think that was, that was sort of how I landed on the show. I kind of entered it through a personal relationship. Um, I had a friendship with Peter Chernin and his wife and his family. And it was, I remember he called me uh, just when uh, Melrose Place had, the pilot had been picked up. And he said, hey, do you think you could do this? And, and he sent me like, I don't know, some version of the pilot. And I said, yeah, I think I could do it. So first show I did for spelling was uh, 
Melrose Place. I think I did two or three or four episodes. And then, you know, Kenny would always move the composers around the different shows. I ended up doing 12 different series for the for spelling, but um, I wound up on 90210, kind of, I shifted over to there. So knowing how many, I saw how many you did, Savannah, Melrose. Yeah, yeah. I, I knew about Melrose, of course, because that's, yeah. Kenny came in and said he does Melrose. Yeah. And uh, after I said, well, that's not going to work, he convinced me. <laughs> <laughs> not true. His career is already <laughs> over, so what's the difference? Yeah, not true. Um, but uh, I am interested in about, you worked on these spelling shows. Was ours unique or is it basically the same? No, no, no. Yours was unique in the sense that it was really like, you know, the A brand. I mean, you know, it was it was it was the show. You know, when Melrose Place came on, I mean, there was a lot of heat connected with it. And it was kind of a, you know, like maybe I don't know if you would call it the next step or a different step. But when I came to 90210, I was like, wow, I'm working on the on the hottest show on TV right now. I mean, I was like, you know, I was really thrilled because it was really happening in that moment, mm -hmm. uh, you know, it was a big, big deal for me. Um, I'm curious, Gary, when you came into the show, did anyone give you any kind of, did Ken or anybody give you guidance on like, uh, you know, a Brenda, any kind of thematic stuff? This you know, is a Brenda thing, this is a Dylan thing, you know, or? I mean, I didn't really, I, that is used in scoring, you know, you can have a Dylan theme and a Brenda theme. And I didn't really do that as an episodic arc over multiple episodes, because it really, to me, it really didn't lend itself to that. So within the case, when the, within the context of one individual episode, yes. For example, there was a show called Perfectly Perfect that I scored, uh, which had to do with Brenda. No, 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 not Brenda, Kelly. 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 And an eating disorder situation. And that was a really uh, serious, episode about a very serious topic. And I don't remember what year it came out, but it was probably 93, four. It was 93 and it was the one uh, for, for interest. It, it's the one that we won our uh, Scott, Scott Newman award, the prism award you guys were yeah. talking about uh, recently. Yeah. That was, this was that episode. Well, so I was fortunate to, you know, get that assignment on that one. And so, you know, I mean, the fact that it wasn't just um you know, kids having fun and the other, you know, things that happen, romance and high school stuff. You know, it was a meatier topic. And I remember that there were some more serious underscore cues where I had an opportunity to really try to get inside of the character, you know, like you would do in a film or, or in, you know, not in episodic stuff. Um, and so those were the great opportunities, you know, for me, because, you know, you're dealing with a more serious subject matter. Um, it's not repetitive in the sense that, it was unique to that episode. I mean, there it may have been foreshadowed or followed up on subsequent, but that was the one that really discussed that problem. So those were the golden opportunities for, I know Marty Davich was another composer that did a yeah. lot of work on the series, very talented guy. And um, I'm, I'm sure that he looked forward to those opportunities like I did. Um, I remember there was another series yeah, of- But, I, but uh, yeah. Marty was in my temple, you weren't. Well, that may, <laughs> I may have been in a different temple. What could I tell you? I don't know. Temple of music. Well, <laughs> the one thing I do want to ask you, because I know yeah. Marty was, when I think of Marty, I think yeah. of the piano. Yes. And when I think of you, I think more the guitar. And, well, and, I'm a and, pianist first yes. and guitarist second. 
Um, I didn't play a lot of guitar on the show. There's a, there's a guitar player who is probably the, the most recorded guitar player in, in, in this time named Michael Thompson, he, he, who I first met and auditioned him and hired him from Boston when I was Cher's musical director. He subsequently went out to become like, he played the guitar solo on every hit record you've heard over the last 30 or 40 years. So routinely I would play all the instruments on my recording sessions and then I'd have Michael come in and do a three hour day and he would just layer all of his beautiful guitars over everything I'd already recorded. I could do it, but not like Michael could do it. So, you know, uh, but I, I play both instruments and and that was wonderful because both instruments were right in the vocabulary for 90210. We, we were doing the the other thing that uh it, the one thing I remember Kenny Miller saying a lot in the uh in the sessions. Yeah. And I just want to say also in those sessions, obviously our associate producers were in there too. That's one of their functions. Absolutely. So for Gary's time, it was it was Dave Semmel, yeah. and who who ironically is one of his neighbors <laughs> across um, the street. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. Um, they he used to say the only character that I think had a sound to him, at least as as Kenny structured it, was was Dylan. Yeah. To rail on the guitar at the end, you know, and stuff like that, and and I think yeah. that was he maybe the only one that had yeah. a, a a theme as probably it probably. You know, I'm looking at, I, I looked through the list of shows that I did and I found a couple titles. I think I, I wrote the music to a, an episode called The Game is Chicken. And then there was an episode called Rebel with a Cause. I think it was The Game is Chicken had to do with guys car racing, right? That's right. That's right. Okay. I remember that I was able to write, it was Dylan was the prime character in it, I think. Am I right? I think. Uh, no, the character Steve, uh, Ian Zering's character, was the was the, was the drag racer. Well, maybe in Rebel with a Cause. What was what was was that Dylan? Yeah, he was there with Brenda. Uh, you know, yeah. that one, I don't remember exactly what it was about. But I think I'm focusing more on the the drag racing thing. And right. That was that was Ian. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I I would imagine. I mean, whether it was Dylan or 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 you know or Ian, I treated a lot of that with kind of like rock and roll but not not like speed metal i mean you know right. maybe maybe if the flag went down and they said go and you had to be just going a million miles an hour you know i would do that but on the on the setups to the races where it was more under the the dialogue and you know posing and people you know building up i was able to do some kind of really kind of slow tempo lots of guitars but edgy kind of layering like rock and roll underneath it just because it's driving it's guys it's cars it's it's dangerous it's so when you're talking about the music that was used for dylan i probably did lean more heavily on guitars for his character mm. probably because his scenes went that way you know yeah, they were, you know and he was the, and he was our version or he was our rebel with, with yeah with i mean he was the character he was the character right. so you know well, I, I, have to, I have to say one thing, just I think Larry's heard this before when we were just shooting yeah. shit, but you know, that game, when the game is chicken, what yeah. I wanted to have the game be, because I wanted to actually do a feature called The Game Was Chicken, my, mm -hmm. my precursor to Fast and Furious. Right. But the shot that you all know from uh, uh, La La Land. Yep. That starts on the, the, uh, the freeway going yeah. over the, the, the 105. Yes. That wasn't completed yet. Uh, 
And I made them go forward and get see if we could have permission to shoot on it. Wow. That you would be shooting and the it would be like going over a cliff instead of being an urban cliff. Oh my. <laughs> um, we know Paul Wagner, so that didn't sure. Yeah. Sure. But that's how I envisioned it. So I want the composer yeah. to know that. Yeah. But that was a fun show to work on. Uh because the pieces were longer. See, that's another thing that, that was the case as of being a composer on a show like this. You know, um, Larry, most of those cues, those transition cues, Pete, that we were talking about, you know, I would say that average duration could have been maybe 15 seconds worth of music and then 10 seconds worth of tail. But, you know, what are you going to do in that? You know, you don't have too much room to develop much. But if you've got a three-minute buildup to a car chase or a car scene where it's a drag race, you have some nuance in there. You know, there's going to be moments in the dialogue where you can lay low and let the let the dialogue do what it needs to do. But when the camera takes pulls back and you see the cars and the atmospheric feeling, you know, you do have a chance to make a contribution to the scene. And the, wonder, those are the moments that any composer, you know, those are the most interesting moments for us. I, I, I would think so. I, I know in Hazardous to uh, Your Health, well, let me uh, show this which was the one we shot in uh, Mexico. Yes. What's that, Pete? I was going to show the the, the clip of the this, the game is chicken. I wanted to show oh, that, cool. clip that they were talking about, and then we'll get to that one. So here's here's okay, cool. yeah. Cool stuff, man. Um, See, so there you hear it. That's exactly what I recall, you know. <laughs> so when they're sitting, anticipating the race to begin, the music is really, it's still same vocabulary. That's Michael Thompson going crazy on the guitar. But the tempo is slow. It's not fast until the race begins. So, you know, it works. Mm -hmm. yeah. At least I think it works. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, Larry, you were going to say something about hazardous to your health? Oh, no, I was just was thinking about, you know, in like the extended, because uh, obviously you would have the open, you know, there'd be the main titles, which were the John right. Davis theme, but then the opening titles were the episode titles. You'd usually have a two two minute uh, yes. thing. And if it wasn't a, a piece of uh, a music already pre-recorded, uh, you'd have a chance to really lay this and set the tone of the episode. Yes. And, and I sort of remember the uh, in hazardous it was pretty good opening there in the Mexican airport. I just uh, watched it. I thought it was terrific. Yeah, uh, so that's the one I, that stuck in my mind. And also, that episode you had a chance to be a little bit more, uh, you know, just a, a little more freeform because it was it was an outlier episode for us. And here we are on location in Mexico, and there we're yeah. dueling and all kinds of stuff going on. Do you remember that one? You're you're well, yes, and you're right. Uh, those, I mean, I'll use the word generic, but it's not really generic. Those were moments, you know, because you have establishing shots, the camera's moving. We have some exterior shots sometimes on those opening, you know, after the main title. The episode credits, yeah. That does give you an opportunity to 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 make a little bit of a statement or at least say this is the mood that we want to be yeah. feeling right now. 
So let me ask you a question. Uh, I have uh, that scene, so, Chuck, real quick. Oh, I have that scene, scene of, yeah, of, the, of the hazardous to your health. Please, please. Yeah. This is that opening. La Punta Brava. Thank you for flying with us, and we hope you enjoy your stay. Yeah. I'm there. All right, we go. Yeah. yeah, I mean that's you know Adam you was an outlier. You you came along for the ride with us, which we I did. And it's it's like, but when you got that, okay, it's going to be a a unique nine hundred two and zero episode. It's going to right. have Hispanic music. Right. Do you then go and, and do you go to like uh, any sort? Do you listen to anything? Good question. I mean, you're not a. You know, you're you're not no. there uh, with you know doing. Uh, you were you never were a session man for Los Lobos. So no. what, you know, but, you know, I would say it's a really it's very similar to how a writer would produce, would approach your work. I mean, you, you've written many different types of things. All of you guys have done, you know, so you have the vocabulary. You, you know how to write. <laughs> you know how to tell a story. So as a composer, as a TV slash film composer, you have to have in your arsenal you know, as a musician, you have to be familiar with all styles. So in this episode, it, it turns out that we're in Mexico. And so in my library of sounds that I had at that time were probably lots of ethnic libraries from various parts of the world. But I had a, fam a basic familiarity with music from Mexico, um, like any busy composer, because you're going to get you're going to have to do it on something. So it wouldn't be a big deal for me to like, I don't have to go and study the music. I, I pretty much know what it is. Now, if in the spotting session, you or Kenny or someone would have said to me, okay, now we want this music to sound like it comes from this city. Well, then I would have to go back and do a little bit of research and figure out what instruments they use in that locale and then do it. But in, in a generic style to create the feeling of we're in Mexico while that plane is coming into land, not rocket science, you know, E easily done acoustic guitar instead of electric guitar. I think that was probably me playing. And and the rhythm is just obviously a Latin feeling as opposed to a straight ahead rock and roll thing. Um, There's a question I was thinking about earlier, and, and uh, I wonder if you do this sometimes, Larry. Like you'll you'll say a line in, in life or you'll write a line down somewhere and in, in a scene and it, and it doesn't it doesn't uh, fit and you take it out or there's no place yet to put it, but you know, you have that line. Mine was always, uh, what was mine? Oh, you, uh, you step out of this room, you step out of my life. You know, I knew, and I never found a, by the way, I never found a place to use that line, but I liked the way it sounded. It was pithy. But yes. the thing is, is that, does that happen with a music guy too? You create something and yeah. Hey, I can put this somewhere at some point and I'm going to put it in my, yeah, I mean, save, save file. It does happen. Uh, I would say in episodic TV, um, due to the fact that the deadlines are tight and and we were recording all of the stuff ourselves. I mean, it wasn't like we'd line up a 26-piece orchestra on a scoring stage and do it. So we got about a week. At, I mean, I don't recall being given more than a week, except if it was a, a two-part episode, like two hours, two episodes. Sure, we did. Yeah, graduation or or we didn't give you, didn't give you a week. No, I we didn't get a lot of time. No, we expect well, that to be turned like over. Double up, so we had to do it in two days. Oh yeah. yeah. Well, that happened too. But what yeah. I'm saying is, 
when when you have that kind of a deadline, you just have to knock down the cues one at a time. Yeah. To yeah. make sure you hit the deadline. Now, along no, we were the way, we were manufacturers. We we were manufacturers. Yeah. yeah. Along the way, though, you may a piece of music you may be improvising to a scene and you stumble upon something that may or may not be right for that scene, but you like it, like your line, you know you can use it in the future. You can set it aside as, as something to be used later. For me, what happened more often than not would be like you'd write a piece of music um, and it wouldn't be exact, you know, you finally you finish it, you think it's great, whatever, and you either deliver it and you get a note saying, eh, not exactly what we want, or you get the sense after you finish it all out that it went someplace where it, you didn't really mean for it to go because it music has its own internal momentum and it wants sure. to go certain places. So sometimes as a composer, you forget that you're supposed to be serving the TV show and you serve the music in that moment. And that's a mistake because the mu then you're going to take the viewer out of the scene because you're paying too much attention to them. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, you have to keep absolutely. the goal in mind at all times. Um, I'm, I'm interested in, in, in hearing your story about sharing pain here. Um, the, the, the idea, did you ever, either in our show or any of the spelling shows, would just uh, make it that, that you composed the thing, you had it, you liked it, you gave it to someone mm -hmm. and Kenny Miller or whoever it was mm -hmm. and said, Gary, this isn't, this isn't, this isn't mm -hmm. going to happen, or it's a miss, or, yeah. or you, you're, you're very good. We, you know that, and, you, and we're Larry and I, and and the late Steve Wasserman, and uh, you know we're huge fans of yours. But at the same time, I mean, I'm wondering either with us or this, was there ever a, you know, uh, you couldn't find the strike zone? Yeah. I, I mean, I would say, I don't recall that happening off the top of my head on nine zero two one zero. I'm sure it probably did. And it may have come in. It may have come in very kind of inconsequential areas for the wrong reasons. Let me explain. As you know, um, Ken, in the Peach Pit, and anytime there was source music, you know, that could either come from us, you know, composers, where, where we would create original music that would then be published by the entity of the spelling publishing company and create a revenue stream for them. But Kenny had also licensed big libraries of like 50s music from different companies, you know, that he could throw on the peach pit and stuff like that. So sometimes, you know, I'd write a piece of source music and I'd find out when the show got broadcast, there was a different piece of source music in there. And it wasn't story critical. It wasn't like when you were looking at the kids at the counter eating their burger, the music that was on the jukebox made a big difference to the scene. Oh, point point of order. Yes. <laughs> I knew this was going to happen. Over and over again. And you will see that many times, not Kenny buying right. you know, the library, but many times we laid in the song that was an exact reflection of what the yes. character was feeling. Yes. And, and I think in our show, maybe yes. other shows, and maybe after I left, but my era... I cared more about the Peach Pit songs than the other songs. But I didn't know the other songs as well. Yeah. You yeah. know, I, I I would hear a song on the radio, like uh, Donna Ferris or uh, yeah. It's Gotta Be, or songs that were you know women empowerment songs. We need that one. We'll find a place for yeah. that one. But otherwise, I I focused on the Peach Pit. Yeah. You, know? you know, in general though, um, I mean, it's possible to write a piece of music and overwork it. Because you, your perception is, is the scene needs help. 
But that may not be the perception of, of the producers or the director. They may think, you know, this is pretty much pretty good and you're, t you're intruding on the scene. So, right. Well, be, the, what I used to do in walking into sessions, uh, you know, our, our, our layback sessions, yeah. knowing that Kenny Miller liked to really overscore because he was right. answering to Aaron Spelling. Yes. That I would walk in and say, uh, Luke, without, without even saying hello to Chris yeah. Hartwood or any of those guys, I would just come in and say, Nothing, yeah. they would wait for me and then they could start. Yeah. And I would walk in and just shout out as I'm walking in, uh, lose the cue, lower the walla. Yeah. You know, again and again. You want to hear the dialogue. Yeah. 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 And I think you're right. I think, I think Kenny tended to overscore because it's always very easy to take something out, right. you know, and have extra music than the opposite way. Um, and again, that speaks a little bit to the overall spelling style of spotting music, where they just, you know, had a formula that they tended to go with. Um, and other producers would probably say 30 to 40% of those cues are not even necessary. Mm. But, you know, there was really, my feeling was, is that there was never, the shows were never slow. They, they never had dull moments because there was, even if there wasn't dialogue or sound effect, there's, they just kept moving, you know, and the right. music was a little bit of a help in that area because, you know, you want to keep people engaged. And it, I think it did. It helped, you know. Let's look at this scene here from Senior Poll. This is the scene that everybody talks about with Dylan and uh, Kelly right. uh, in the park, right? So let's take a look at this. Okay, sure. Here. I used to push you on the same swing. So you can look up my dress. It wasn't me. I guess the intro of that, though, is what we were looking at. You know, like, yeah. you know, uh, I guess talk to me about a scene like that. You know, I mean, there was the Dylan kind of yeah. guitar thing that you talked about a little bit, you mm -hmm. know? Yeah. And that's it. Because, you know, as soon as you see his character, it just works with the electric guitar. So that particular, that's my guy, Michael Thompson again. And, you know, he just, he, when we would score that at that point, I mean, we were, I was recording on two inch 24 track tape in a real recording studio in my home. And I had a big monitor, you know, and Michael would just sit next to me and I just hit play. He'd listen to the cue. He'd watch the scene with me. He didn't really need me to point out what was going on because he could see what was going on. And the chord structure and everything else is already recorded. So he literally would just be sitting there and improvising to what he was watching. And so I would say, here comes Dylan, you know, okay, set it up for me. You know, and Dylan walks forward toward her and he's got that edge, you know, he's Dylan. So you want to hear that guitar and then it, 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 I think it's somewhat gracefully ducks under the dialogue and then just disappears. But if you don't have that sound for him, then it's a different scene. You know, were you, were you one of the early people that put a sound system into your house to do the TV composing? Or did they always, uh, I, I'm thinking of some of the people like I knew who worked for Sony and they would, you know, you had to come into the Sony place and do right. it in front of them. Uh, well, by, by the I, late 80s, it was all in. Yeah. You'd hire the composers all in. 
Yeah, it was well, the chip there would be a Harry Lejewski audio uh, would be the orchestra with Alan Silvestri right. was our composer, okay. and we have yes. a scoring section. But yeah. then the change once the the electronic music came in, you know. Right. So in the eighties, when I worked on Fame, Harry Lejewski was the head of the MGM yeah. music department, and and the underscore episodes would be done with about a 25-piece orchestra on the MGM scoring stage back in the day in a three-hour date. And there were lots of composers that did them, including myself. But as you said, once electronic instruments came in um, and the style of music changed... And the music and the music union fell apart. Well, it didn't fall apart, but it was it was just... I mean, they, they did the best they could, which wasn't very good, but it was very, very <laughs> difficult because it was virtually impossible not impossible, but it was very, very difficult to record a rock and roll piece of music that sounded real on uh, on the Paramount recording stage sure. that's used, where there should be 120 symphonic players. Because most, of, unless the recording engineers came from the record business, they wouldn't know how to record a kick drum. They're used to hanging microphones to capture sections of the orchestra, right? But rock and roll music and the kind of music that we would score for this show was based on a rhythm section. So you had a drummer, you got to hear a kick drum, you got to hear a snare, you got to hear the drums. It's just not a, a thump coming from like 50 feet away from the control booth, you know. Hmm. So it was a different mindset. Plus, when I started recording, we couldn't even use, interestingly enough, they Harry Loyevsky at MGM, he forced me to record on the MGM scoring stage. Right. Yeah. No, 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 no. Because you know, one part of MGM was paying another part of MGM. He says, you must record at MGM. And I said, Harry, it's going to take me six hours to record what I could record in an hour at the record plant. Please let me. So I went and I met Chris Stone, who was the owner of the record plant recording studio, the old record plant where all those amazing records were done from history. And I said to him, Chris, and he knew what was going on. You know, TV was huge. And he said, do a deal with me where I can record pre-record all my songs for fame at the record plant. I don't want to go anywhere near a scoring stage if I can avoid it. So back and forth, back and forth. I was the one that got MGM to agree to allow me to record all my pre-recorded music at the record plant rather than forcing me to do it at MGM. Mm. And that was the beginning. I'm not the only guy, but that was the beginning of the packages where you would get x dollars. And you could. I thought you were going to say it was the beginning of the end of MGM, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, well, because yes, of you, because right. of you, you, you brought it down. And no, it was, I, it was I so much cheaper to have a composer do that, but having to pay all those players, it was an economic decision. And I'll give you Once, uh, the studios all seized upon the electronic music as a way yeah. to do it. And then, and it part of it, you know, later on, it became about money, became about budget, because you know, then you know, it's all in. I mean, like Kenny Miller could go, okay, you're going to get ten thousand dollars or whatever the number was, hand well, me the tape. Exactly. That's it. He doesn't have to worry about anything beyond that because he knows what it's going to cost him. What it, that's a dream come true. For me, a little bit less of a dream come through come true because I know I can bring Michael Thompson in. I got to pay his union wages and stuff. Maybe I need to bring a saxophone player in. Back in that day, I might have to do that, and that would come out of my fee. So whatever was left over after I paid those things would be the money that I would take home. But. On that show I did at Paramount, I had the same situation where I was doing this Bronx Zoo show. Um, they wanted it to be urban. They wanted the music to be really good. They didn't want it to sound like scoring. And yet that was a Paramount show and they wanted me to record it at Paramount. And, and I said, I can't do it. Mm. So they were they dug in their heels and they said, no, you're doing it. 
And I don't care if it's not going to sound good. You're, you know, other people can do it. You could do it. Right. So what I would do is I would go into my recording studio. I would bring my musicians in and I would pre-record all of my stuff, the drums, the bass, like it was a record. And then I would take that tape into Paramount Studio and overlay the rest of the instruments. So the nucleus of what I had was built the right way. And it was recorded by people, you know, that knew how to record contemporary music. And then you could layer stuff over the top of it. But yes, you are right. That was the jumping off point where from that point forward, except on big film scores or movies of the week or really high budget shows, it was a guy in a room or a woman in a room. Most likely it was a guy in the room back in those days. Not too many women were given opportunities to compose. Fortunately, that has changed a lot. And there's some incredibly talented yeah. people doing it now um, in film as well, particularly right. film. Um, so that's sort of my story on that one. Okay, who closed the door? Where, where was the door closed? I heard, I heard it. That is that yours or Larry? Is that a That's video? That's the laundry room on the other side of my office. Okay. A lot of opening and closing the door. <laughs> All right. Um, let's talk about holiday music and holiday episodes, right? I mean, that's okay. something that we wanted to talk about. Here's a scene. I don't know what it is, but let's see. Let's check it out. So now that I've brought you up to date. Not. Excuse me? This Brandon and Andrea situation. I don't understand. Oh, I'm sorry. You see, you were so interested in that Kelly Dylan Brenda affair. That's, uh, so that's um, no. that's a Christmas a Christmas episode. That's, but did you record them coming together, the singers and saying? You know, I I don't know. If, I actually don't know if 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 I did that show. I don't remember. I may have. You know, it was called, it's a total. It's the one with the talking stars. You're happening life. I probably did do it, and I don't recall recording that version of Jingle Bells. So that may have been shot live on the set. I don't I have no idea. Oh no, we didn't do anything. That's yeah, I, I really I really <laughs> I don't have a memory on that one. <laughs> um all right, how about this one? Here's something somewhere in the world is Christmas. Another Christmas. I recall that and I don't mean yes. to pry, but what about Erica's father? Did he just leave you hanging or what? Well you could say that. Um he died last year. I'm so sorry. Were they close? No. That's what the world needs, another absentee father. I gotta tell you, I was gonna slam the door right in your face, and I would have, but I looked at that little girl and something special happened. Did I say something? Jack was her father, Dylan. What? Jack was her father. Erica is your sister. Oh, God, I love that scene. Yeah, I mean, that's well-spotted cue. Yeah, it's not Christmas-centric, but not Christmas-centric, but a little bit with, with you know, Miracle of Christmas, that kind of that kind of feeling, flute. right? Yeah. Was that a flute or was that electronic, you think? What was that? No, everything there was electronic. Um, clarinet sounds, oboe sounds, yeah. string sounds, right. maybe some piano in there. I mean, again, a sensitive scene. Not not necessarily a a, a, a screaming Christmas cue. Right. In, in doesn't have like your you know the things that you would think to do that. But um, again, just a heartfelt moment where I'm guessing that was going out to commercial. I'm not sure. 
seem like it was because the music swelled toward the end, you know. Well, you know, Fox put in a commercial every three and a half minutes. Yeah. <laughs> so everything was going out. Well aware. <laughs> well aware of that. Yeah. I'm, good show. Good. Uh, and, and in terms of working with, or, you know, we, we talked about it's a total, did you not do the score on that? Or, or doing Christmas, just generally speaking, yes. or some of the holiday tones. What is your approach doing that? Well, <clears throat> I don't think it's any, you know, uh, you usually spot those shows and it's July. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, it's always fun. Like, you know, you you know, someone hears jingle bells coming out of your recording studio and it's July and, you you know, just the repetition of doing it a million times. But, um, you know, you try to do things. I remember uh, in a couple shows that I did Christmas opportunities on spelling shows. I'm not sure if they were 90210. I think one of them certainly was, is you end up having to record the, the, you know, the standards because um, they don't want to license some other version of it. They want one created for their show because, because, because. Um, so it's always fun to take these songs and try to give them a little bit of a more contemporary treatment or, you know, just hear them recorded with newer sounds, different instruments, you know. I would try to do that. But in you know, general, I remember in one of the shows, that I did for uh, 90210, I think it took place, there was a lot of scenes in a mall at Christmas time. So you had like mall music. Right. You know, and a lot of it, you know, so I probably had to record like six or seven different Christmas, public domain Christmas songs mm. in the style for that show. So so they could just be sprinkled anywhere there was a scene in the mall if needed, you know. Larry, you're on, you're on mute just to let you know. <clears throat> Yes, he, there he is. Yeah, that was gift wrapped. The episode was gift wrapped. Okay, there you go. Um, I don't know. Todd sent me this, but it's the Rock of Ages, so I can't imagine. something like that a little yeah that that, i'm glad you played that because that piece of music stylistically is different than um a lot of underscore cues but it goes to what larry had mentioned before that was that a you know that's that chunk of music that's under credits where you sort of set the tone for the episode and that that was a, a kind of a style of music that i favored writing at that time that didn't really track since there wasn't dialogue there, but it doesn't really track the scene. It's just kind of a vibe. Do you know what I mean? Yep. It's it's an energy. It's a momentum. Uh, the instrumentation there, in addition to drums, was a lot of acoustic guitars, um, just to provide energy and momentum without having to tailor it too much around other elements that are going on, because that's your moment where you, you can, you know, you get like 30, 40 seconds to do something nice. And that was one of the ones that I, where I probably enjoyed writing that piece. Well, you know, our aunt, you say you, you like to do it under the credits and stuff, you know, there may be, I couldn't tell you how many episodes, but it's very few. It's certainly under 10 
yeah. that we actually had dialogue going on credits. Right. Spelling, you know, I, I got him to to change, at least during my year, I don't know if it was once Larry picked it up or some of the other shows, but I got him just you just get get rid of these establishing shots, which he always needed to put in. Yeah. But but he was he very much wanted not to hear lose dialogue to music in the opening yeah. when he yeah. didn't feel people were ready. So he liked and he liked long title sequences yeah. because the longer the title sequences both main title and episodic title, less he had to shoot. Yeah. 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 And it became part of the style. I mean, certainly part of the style of the show because you get to hear a cool piece of music, generally yeah. rock and roll oriented. This one wasn't so much rock and roll oriented that we just played, but um, it was a good, it, it, it was part of that style. You know, you knew you were going to hear, you'd hear John's theme, right? Um, and by the way, since you asked me earlier on in the conversation about writing thematically for the different players, yeah. which wasn't something that I tried to do much other than choosing like guitars for Dylan. But um, I don't think it was a Kenny Miller note, but there was, there was a, the show was already a big success. So as a composer, even though it wouldn't accrue to your financial benefit, it was a good idea to reference John's theme melodically. Particularly, I was ask in, you about that. Yeah. particularly in transitions, because I mean, if you're if you if you've got a close up on one of the principal characters and they're delivering a line, and then you're transitioning to the next scene, you want to hear a little. Just give me a. Don't bring something that comes from left field. I mean, there's nothing happening there, so just tag it to the show. Give me just a suggestion of the melody. Don't cram it down my throat every time you have to play it, but just keep it alive. And I tried to do that because it was a great theme and and so identifiable with the characters. So I would I would just do that on my own. They would never say, "Okay, we want theme here." Now hey. I have worked on other shows subsequently that were really tough to work on because, particularly if you hadn't composed the theme, there are guys that go theme, 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 theme. So you end up just cramming theme in every cue, and it's like, why am I even working on this show? I you know, but. I, I did make a point at least maybe once or twice in every score that I did of just putting it in there a little bit, just to kind of say, yeah, this is 90210 music. This is That's what this is all about. We were looking at that scene, and that's from Rock of Ages, where the Rolling Stones are, have a have a mm -hmm. whole bunch of scenes. Um, well, yes. you know, their music is anyway. I mean, now when you have something big like that, that's going to be a big part of the show. Um, do you do you try to balance what you're going to do versus because you know it's only rock and roll is going to be in here, the voodoo lounge stuff's going to be in here. What what? How do you approach a scenario like that? Well, it's really it's pretty easy to determine where you're going to spend your time. Like when you you leave that spotting session. You, you, the cues are going to break down into like various categories, stuff you've done before that you're, you're going to do fresher, but you've, you've walked down that road before. There may be a couple opportunities in that episode that are very unique. And you know, you're going to have to focus your time and energy and attention on making those great. And the other, and then there may be some source music, mm -hmm. you know, it's going to fall into those categories. So, you know, you, you, you allocate your time according to what you think is going to take you, the most amount of work to get right. Yeah, Chuck, you gave me this scene earlier. Uh, we were on the phone. This is the this is from um, 
things, things that go bang. Yeah, sorry. Me, I go bang in the night. I just drew, drew one. <laughs> Here we go. This is uh, this is a little sci-fi stuff. Yeah, that's what's good. I mean, I'm glad we're here. I didn't want our first time to be getting drunk at some frat party and then waking up together in the morning. What? I don't know. I just thought I felt something. That would be me. And I think I deserve your undivided attention. I told him to do. I like that one better than the that's other very person. cool. That's yeah. very cool. Interesting. That's that's a very cool cue. Um, I got to use some uh, some of my more unusual samples uh, in, in that cue because when we first of all there's there's the obvious homage to John Williams from um, Close Encounters. Close Encounters yeah. I mean, I I guess I didn't get sued on that one because. <laughs> <laughs> same number of notes but I, I guess i altered it just enough you know not that they would care but um and then i got to use some very cool orchestral samples because when we, when the camera pulls back and we see the light up in the sky it wasn't meant to be scary but it was meant to be weird so i put in a sample of it's like an entire string section bowing and sliding slowly up the strings at random times so on a cello, on a bass, on a viola, on a violin, you could just imagine a full symphony orchestra just making all that noise. And that's what that sound is. It's pretty cool, especially when you layer it in with a few other sounds to make it kind of ethereal. You yeah. Know. So that that's an example of one of the cues that I probably would have said, I this this is an important cue. I gotta set aside some time to detail this cue. Well, you also was ending the episode. It was ending the storyline. I don't know. Yeah, maybe the episode even. I can't remember. No, that's also. later on in the. That's later on in the episode, but it's not the end of the episode. That's probably the end of that segment with that, that storyline. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and then of course, Todd gave me something from um, one the one wedding and a funeral, which is the season six episode where Dylan leaves. Let's take a look at what he gave yeah. me here. Yeah. Lock up the place for me, will you? So see you around. I guess.
Yeah. Really powerful stuff. I mean, look, at, as a fan of the show, Lou, leave, Dylan leaving is such a big moment. Yeah. And I think you delivered that moment. The music is one of the things that helps deliver that moment in just yeah. a powerful way in the writing, of course, as well. Do you Absolutely. remember? Absolutely. Oh, go on. Do you remember? Yeah. I mean, this it's such a good scene. I mean, the scene, the setup, and where it occurs in the series is, is as you said, pivotal. It's a big moment. Um, interesting, though, I haven't heard it in a really, you know, I haven't, didn't remember it, but in li in listening back to it, it it's it's clear I'm, I'm not going to any electric guitars. I'm yeah, not playing the villain character because in this moment, there, it's uh, to me, the scene was about their relationship. They're saying goodbye to each other. So, the instrumentation is all just really the same sort of instrumentation I would use for any dramatic emotional scene, some piano, some, you know, little guitars, little, little stuff, but I didn't take it into like testosterone territory because it wasn't in the scene. Yeah. We didn't need any aspect of that to, to be highlighted. It was just, these guys are best friends and they're, they're saying goodbye. So yeah. I'm glad I'm glad it worked out. I mean, it certainly was a powerful scene, even just looking at it now. Yeah. Very Definitely cool. One of those moments. Charles, did you have something that you wanted to add to that? Or I was just gonna make a joke about what Jason was wearing, but you know <laughs> <laughs> I know I'd occur to the moment. I, it too. I mean, I mean, one looks really cool and the other <laughs> looks like they're driving to Northridge. <laughs> and we have, to, we have to ask but Molly was, Campbell about that one. Yeah, you better, Larry. I think that's weird. <laughs> That's Nordstrom Rack before there was a Nordstrom Rack, I think. <laughs> yeah, maybe so. Maybe I'm so. Not sure. You know, I want to ask something that's completely different and a little inside, but, but sure. you know, I'm remembering back to, you know, when Larry and I were first uh, doing, writing our pilots and, and, and getting out there, and you'd want to have music and different things. And and I used to call, and I did a lot of work for MTM, you know. For and, MGM, do you say? For MTM. MTM, right. And so we used to call it the tyranny of Mike Post. Okay. That because Botchko so loved Mike Post, that became the sound of network television. Yes. And I remember then going into the late 90s, I think the movie is, it's Grisham's book. Is it The Client with Tom Cruise? Is I, that? I think so. I think so, yeah. It was, and Dave Grusin did a piano yeah. opening yeah. to it that I yeah. did three pilots and Dave Grusin could have sued two of them. Yeah, because you, you use know, that because music. it is same, you know. So yeah. does it happen that like uh and I remember I also remember with the one thing that we we've uh, when we recorded our first version of the um of the theme song, uh -huh. I think at the same place you mentioned the planet is that the one by Sautel? Record Planet. Yeah, well, that's music. the village. That's the village. Yeah, you think you Beverly? So we Red, well, ours was on, 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 yeah. on Sautel, the one that Larry mentions. Yeah, and I remember uh, Darren getting into an argument with Kenny Miller mm -hmm. about the fact that he wanted to use a saxophone, mm -hmm. and Kenny Miller said, "No, that's '80s. It's all guitar now. You know, mm -hmm. the the kind of that, that you get. You know, what what's going on in the era? Try to sound sure. like someone else. Is is and, and by the way, the solo he didn't want to use, mm -hmm. although you don't hear it because we didn't use it very much, was done by by um, Skip Baxter." Oh, nice! You know, you know. So we came in and, and yeah. got to hear him play. Yeah. Um, but the but the question I have for you is: uh, it, Does that happen sometimes? That you you've got a a, a sound takes over, and that's <laughs> what is expected of you guys, you or others like you, or not so much. 
because it's such diversity in programming. You mean uh, because in the eighties they use saxophones and now they don't want you to use them using guitars? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, talking? or that, or that the mic post like that, that off little piano that that had to be what what meant something, and that's what you had to use for themes. Yeah. Not, well, not so yeah. much. It happens. I mean, scoring goes through uh, trends. I guess right. you would say. Like, I mean, if, if we all turned on, um, you know, a, a new HBO show or something that, 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 you know, has come out within the last six months, I think we could all probably identify a trend in sure. the style of the music now, right? So when you talk about Mike Post, um, he, yes, you are right. He, he delineated a, a particular style that hit with Bochco, and he then... Um, was very adept at creating a little team of people that could generate massive amounts of music that yeah, he would oversee, right. but not a crime. You know, you know, I, I didn't work for Mike. I knew people that got, you know, that apprenticed with him and ultimately ended up doing, you know, getting into the business on that way. You know, his style was it. I mean, and Hill Street Blues was massive. I mean, when he did that, I mean, that was so against what anyone would have done on a theme. And it was pretty brilliant. And so I don't really, you know, I know I was frustrated because young composers, you know, you're always trying to get in. And Mike Post took every show and you knew it wasn't him doing it on every show. But in the end, you know, the guy was super talented and there was enough work to go around. And um, there were shows where you could hear that you see the credit went by and you knew it wasn't him and the music was a bit phoned in. But again, stylistically, if a trend is like now, I would say the trend is to not get it, is to just get the heck out of the way of dialogue. Like, like you don't even know if there's music there a lot of the time now. It's kind of just an amorphous wash of sounds that are probably coming from electronic instruments. But it's not, you know what I mean? It's way sitting back. In a lot of shows now, not every show, and that's a trend. So, in other words, like if I took this, if I took Kenny Miller's mentality that he walked into a scoring session, a, a spotting session with, and I took that mentality and I sat down and spotted a new HBO series or some brand new thing, it would not work. Right? They would say, well, "Why are you putting music here? Music? You don't need music here." I mean, they would probably cut out about seventy percent of the spotting. Mute spotted music because they don't need it. it it's not the style anymore. Right. And is that the, is that uh, an outgrowth of reality television? You think? I mean, or does reality television have its own music? I don't. No. Uh, I'd have no. to ask my daughter Maxine about that. Because no, I wouldn't. I, I think those are different because uh, reality te te reality music really generally written for reality television isn't really doing anything except filling space. Right. It's, it's not playing the scene. It was chosen by an editor at like three o'clock in the morning because he had to deliver in the next 20 minutes. And he's, he's just grabbing cues out of a library and cutting and pasting. So that, that music is its own entity by itself. Right. Um, it doesn't really cross the line into what, what the kind of music that a real composer would create for a show like this or, or another series. I got a few more things. I want to show you this yeah. one other scene too, and then I got just a couple more questions. Here we go. Okay, great. Valerie? Uh, yeah. Can I come in? 
Uh, sure. How you doing? Pretty good. I thought I smelled pot in here. Pot? Uh, no, I was just, uh, burning some incense. Incense? Yeah, I know it's very boomer of me, but when I was 13, my mother went Buddhist for about two minutes. She swears it helps mellow your moods. And you know what? I think it does. <laughs> Well, this is right, I mean, this is one of the ways that we're introducing Valerie as this sort of, you know, troubled, troubled person, right? So that's yeah. a little, little mis mystery uh, about her there. Yeah, and so in the cue like that, you have two different elements going musically. Um, you really, it's all dialogue. I mean, they're talking, talking, talking. So you can't do anything that's going to really, you know, get in the way of that. But interestingly, in the when we're looking at Valerie in the beginning of the cue. It sounds kind of like a wash, you know, but it's all coming from a guitar. Th those are like those notes, those long tones are volume pedal guitar. Again, Michael Thompson, my guy. So he, he'll just like play a note on the guitar. You won't hear the attack because he's got the volume pedal down. And then he slowly depresses the pedal. So you just hear this, this kind of atmospheric tone and it just kind of wafts out there and then he'll play another one. And then when I get to the the um, Kelly part of it, like she's questioning, is it marijuana? You know, what what's going on here? And I bring in more traditional instrumentation for her part of it. Like there's a clarinet sound and more string sounds. So it's like Valerie gets the guitars in that scene, mm -hmm. gets the more traditional instruments, and they kind of mesh, but they're featuring different aspects of, of, of the energy of the scene, you know? There's a difference between those two characters in that scene, right? Yeah, I'm also curious about, there was some some season- Yeah, one's got a nice buzz on and the other one's saying, oh, yeah. <laughs> Good point. There's some seasons where uh, David was writing music before he actually started writing music. Do you remember this, Chuck? Uh, uh, so Precious and some of those songs. Were you involved in any of any of that writing, the, the, the songs the that- The David Silver uh, music, music collection. I don't believe I was. I don't believe I had a pleasure of, of doing that with him. <laughs> yeah. Um, I have had the pleasure of working with a lot of um, people like on previous shows, Fame, for example, you know, um, everyone's a triple threat. <laughs> go, to, go to work for Disney on those sitcoms and you know, everyone's a triple threat. They sing, they dance, they act, they do it all in their brains. But when they get to the recording studio, it generally doesn't work out that easily. Mm -hmm. Well, for, for a while, Jamie Walters was on the show, right? You know, and yes. someone who, there's a lot of Jamie's music uh, yeah. spread throughout the show. And then how do you sort of, sort of like the Stones question, how do you sort of, can, do you talk to Jamie? Are you working things out with the the score of the rest of the episode, or are you just kind of doing what you want to do? And no, doing? you know, again, it's to, it's it really goes back to the schedule. You know, we're like the last people in. Mm -hmm. You know, the show is like going to get bounced off a satellite soon. So you know, here's our score. Do the mix. Off it goes. So there isn't really time, you know, to do that sort of collaboration unless. It's a priority for the production company, of course, at the script stage, at all various stages. You could involve a composer and composers would have loved to be brought in at an earlier stage, whether it had to do with money or not, because they love the creative process. So if I would have given been given a chance to work with David or whoever was on the show, I, it would have been a good collaboration and it would have been fun to do. 
but time usually was the problem because you're not work they're already on to two more episodes later by the time you're working on that scene. Well, so. I always remember our holiday parties when everybody would be there and like the composers wouldn't know anybody for this band or guys <laughs> yeah. you know, it's, no. oh, you guys know each other, you're, you're the editor. No, I've never met the composer. Everybody was very segmented into what their work was. I mean, the only opportunities that that happens for composers, whether it be television or film, is if, 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 if it needs to be pre-recorded before shooting, you know, or the producers determine that, you know, it, it, it's really an important thing and they want to take the time, energy, effort and, and devote what they need to do that. But in my career, it's always been pre-records. On Fame, it was like Debbie Allen needed, you know, a Rick James tune and they were going to shoot a dance thing to it. So I had to pre-record it. On the Disney shows, you know, uh, there would be big production numbers, uh, all sorts of stuff but they were all pre-recorded because then they had to be shot. So 90210 was not that kind of a show. I mean, it, the peach pit, you know, it was coming out of a jukebox. We didn't see a ton of live bands playing on camera. I guess we did from time to time. Later on at the after dark, right? Yeah. Yes, yes, exactly. But generally it was source music, you know, for that element. One last scene I want you guys to watch. Uh, this is from Mr. Walsh Goes to Washington. Okay. Yeah. This is going to sound corny, but when I was riding in from the airport in the cab, we passed right by the White House, and we were stopped at a stoplight. I found myself getting misty-eyed like Jimmy Stewart and Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. I love that movie. You've seen it? Yeah. Dylan used to make me watch a lot of old movies. I knew that name would come up sooner or later. Do you think I'm crazy? Isn't everyone? <laughs> no, I'm serious. Dylan and I split up, and I didn't even let the dust settle before I got on a plane to come here and see you. Well, I'm glad you're here. It's no fun getting misty-eyed by yourself. Well, you've always got Lucinda and Claire. <clears throat> Talk about crazy. I just can't help thinking. You and I are such good friends. Why risk it? We'll always be friends. Just friends. If that's what you want. I don't know what I want. I mean, it's kind of scary. I don't know if I should let myself feel the feelings that I'm starting to feel. Think the things that I'm thinking. <laughs> what would Frank Capra do right now? Well, I think... Frank would have the guy lean in and kiss the girl, and the camera would pull back and the music would rise. No, I don't think that's what he would do. You don't? Mm -mm. I think you would have the girl lean in and kiss the guy. Oh, you do, do you? <laughs> that's what I think. What kind of women's lip stuff is a hey, come on, hey, hey. <laughs> yeah. Just a wow. Play with a little. Impressive. I impressed myself there. <laughs> <laughs> Only because that was. 90 god knows what year it was but i mean that was a fairly convincing orchestral flourish as the camera pulled back and the samples that were available back in that day were a little bit less uh you know professional than they are now so i mean uh that took a lot of work i mean i would guess that that pullback probably would have been six seven eight hours of of work 
to, to layer all of the instrumentation in to make that orchestral flourish sound convincing. Because you got it, you really got to layer, you know, that that takes strings, that takes horns, that takes harps, that takes cymbals, it takes a lot of work. And when you're laying it in one instrument at a time, to create that flourish is time consuming. So that would have been one of those cues that I isolated in the spotting session. I'm sure someone would have said, we want to reference this. I mean, that would I would never have taken the license to do that without a producer saying, this is what we're looking for here. Because mm. that's not a typical 90210 no. cue or moment. Right. You, you didn't take the same license that the director did that said, well, why should they kiss? <laughs> no, I didn't. Who directed that? Again, do we ever ask that question? Oh, uh, we did. Didn't you ask Michael Lang about that? Yeah, uh, um, I, I did ask him about it, but I can't remember the answer. Yeah, yeah, he, he wasn't going to take the blame. But it wasn't Even the if script, it I'm wasn't sure. in the script, as you yeah, call it back. Sure, the, uh, one, you should have one take with it, one take without. That would have been the way to do that. Yes. And that's what we later on. And by the way, that's what we used to do for the fans out there. That's what we did all the time in 902 and shoot it both ways. Both yeah. ways. See which one works best. We're only going to be there once to shoot it both ways. I mean, exactly. just shooting pictures with the camera, the kiss would have been so much better there. You know, I mean, I mean, the music, I mean the music is so It's like an admission. I don't remember. <laughs> yeah. I have to agree. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that's one of the reasons the show only got a B plus, probably when it was rated by Entertainment Weekly. We were going higher, but they didn't have the kiss, so okay, forget we it. We tried. What can we do? Right. <laughs> uh, this has been great, man. I think we could do more of this with you down the line, and more more samples, more songs, more episodes, and, and whatnot. But we only have an hour or so here to do this. So what right. you got to do, Gary? You got to help us. You got to get that next door neighbor of you, that very busy, distracted yeah. next door neighbor of yours. To come yeah. on, there's one episode we want to do, Unreal World, okay. which is, was the parody of the real world. And All it right. was really one of Larry and my favorite episodes Mine uh, too. season yeah. five. And uh, uh, well, I will try to, about that. I will try to twist his arm. I'm going to see him. I'll see him, and I'll see if I can get convince him to join you. Okay? Yeah, is he back from Hawaii yet? He is. Yeah, he is. Oh, He's having a, a little uh, get-together around the 4th of July. So I'll, I'll definitely be seeing him. Oh. Yeah, I'll, I'll do Chuck, what I can. You need to, you need to crash you. the party, Chuck. You need I'll to do what I can. No, no, no. We have our own party. Pete, <laughs> okay. you want to see fireworks? Well, you yeah. can see a lot of them from a lot of places, including the Rose Bowl. But we, um, you know, in Venice, and our roof deck, yeah, we we can see at one point, I think the highest we've counted is like 16 different fireworks. Oh, that's cool. Oh, nice. In time. Oh, nice. Cool. Yeah. yeah, so that's we stay right. here. You know. nice. This has been fun, guys. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, awesome. Gary, thank you, Chuck, Larry. Good seeing you. This has thank been. Thank you, Gary. Bye, guys. Thanks, Gary. Further, but thank you. This has been a lot of fun. Yeah, well, let's do some more down the line too, for sure. Okay. Thanks, All right. guys. Great, guys. Have a great All day. Right. All right. Bye. Bye. Peace.